0: Hi, Nate. Thank you for for joining us today in the CX Interview Series, the CX Spotlight Show with Chattermill. Uh, I really just wanted to thank you for your time, and I, I know how busy uh, everything is, so for you to take uh, 45 minutes to chat with us here is invaluable, and uh, we can't thank you enough.
1: Oh, well, thank you, John. I'm thrilled to be here. I, I love Chattermill, love everything that you're doing from a from a product and brand perspective, so it's very much my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much for the kind words.
1: So, yeah, I won't beat
0: around the bush. We'll start with the heavy questions straight away. <laughs> uh, we'd love to hear more about uh, what customer centricity means to you. It's such a loaded topic. Usually uh, everyone has an interpretation around it. Uh, so it's really fascinating to hear a specific way of what does it mean to you when, when a customer is uh, when a company is customer centric.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And the way that I look at an organization and determine their level of customer centricity is the way that decisions are made inside of the organization. If we look at how products and services evolve, the way that um, ultimately leadership determines the the future state of the strategy, if, if the customer has a strong voice inside of that, if they're well represented inside of that decision making process, then generally you have a very customer centric organization. If, if the, the company has more of the dome light on, <laughs> where they're just kind of looking around at each other and, uh, and not yet having the headlights on out into the world at what their customers are experiencing, generally, you're going to have a very organization-centric approach, which is, is not going to be as strong as if you allow your customers to be in that driver's seat.
0: Definitely. Uh, absolutely. And, and on that note, like, how do companies uh, go about building that uh, customer-centric culture, mm-hmm. right? There are three phases there that we, I'd love to get, uh, get into with you. Uh, basically, building, uh, like maintaining, and scaling yeah. that's, that customer centric culture, all with their, their different sets of challenges and rewards, right?
1: Yeah, well, Jean, there's a, a resource that I've been preaching on this topic quite a bit. It's Denise Leone's Fusion, which is just okay. a brilliant work. And she talks about creating uh, an employee experience inside of the organization that can be given as a gift authentically to the customer. And, and then and only then do you have a truly customer-centric organization when your employees are experiencing something wonderful and they can be an ambassador for the organization, not, not trying to create a fake customer experience that they didn't, they themselves are not personally having. So I, I love her approach that she talks about in terms of creating this this house. And and there's a framework that she uses in terms of building this house and and engaging your employees uniquely and authentically and and using whatever it is compelling about your culture and unique about you as an organization, using that as as a stake in the ground to create something exceptional for those employees that they can be very proud of. I mean, it starts thinking about that. What is that stake in the ground? What is our culture? And Jeff Toyster has some great work on this as well in terms of creating that vision that customer-centric culture statement for you that is unique and compelling and that you can use to determine, okay, well, now that we know this is where we're moving towards, this is our aspirational culture in terms of what we believe, the way we behave together. Now we know who we can bring in that's going to fit that culture. So in some ways it's like the gate. <laughs> let's, let's lock the gate and determine what it looks like to enter the gate correctly in terms mm-hmm. of that ideal candidate for us then let's move towards the house but before we get to the house there's the fence yep. and a lot of employees like to sit on the fence and they're waiting for you to prove to them that it's worth coming into the house mm-hmm. we our, our human nature is to wait out change and not to jump in and participate generally speaking you're you're an unusual individual if you hear change for the first time and you're excited by it and you want to participate most people have to hear it multiple times and be shown the way to the house in terms of here's, here's the new way we behave, here's why we do it, here's how we help our customers to win, and here's how we win in that process. And only by earning the right to do that and showing and demonstrating to your employees the power of that customer-centric approach will you eventually draw them off the fence and into the house where you've created that very unique and compelling experience.
0: Absolutely. So true. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I find the, the metaphor so illuminating. I really think like when you get these analogies and metaphors, it really helps us hone in in what truly matters and how to actually build, like simplifying it to the first principles and building from there. Very yes, cool. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I think that's fantastic. In terms of uh, what do you think are usually the biggest challenges that our, our organizations face? in um in building
1: there's a, reach, a recent hbr article that talks about the failure rate of culture transformation and mm. it's up, upwards of 95% of cultural transformations fail because of the pitfalls that are out there and and to to summarize it at least in my experience as somebody that has tried to initiate these changes that has been an employee sitting inside of them <laughs> what what happens is that people don't take the long term approach They expect it to happen in a a month period of time, a couple weeks. They think that by just putting the change out there in an all-hands meeting and following up with an email that suddenly everybody's going to change their behaviors. It doesn't work that way.
0: Mm -hmm. And if we
1: go back to our change management methodologies that John Coder so brilliantly laid out in Leading Change, people have to hear it many, many, many times and in many, many different ways. And they have to be showing the change and given an example of what the change looks like and, and a sense of urgency around the change. Give me a reason. Yep. <laughs> unless, you, unless you really make it clear to me that I have to change, I'm, I'm not going to. So taking that long-term approach, using those change management methodologies that, that we know are out there, you could tap into Lean Six Sigma to Demaic, to, to ADCAR, there, there are many change management methodologies, but you need to h- unite the organization around one of them to guide your employees towards a successful transformation.
0: Very cool. No, oh, absolutely. Uh, tremendous insight that I'm sure like very applicable to many, uh, many companies that uh, will be listening to us. Uh, thank you so much, Nate. Uh, uh, on that note, we'd like to move on to like questions focused on tools uh, and sex professionals. And uh, for example, one of the biggest issues is the volume of tools out there, right? Mm. So it's very hard to swift through, uh, sift through all of them. And the filtering process is usually very intuitive and few, few of these practitioners have a proper framework for choosing tools. Uh, so in, on that note of these two elements, like both the volume and the filtering uh, aspects, how do you go about, as a sex professional, how do you go about researching tools and choosing tools to use and that you see clients of yours and, and everything doing the same?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's a great topic, John. I think there's a, just a tremendous amount of confusion out there when it comes to tool sets. I, I actually did a, a presentation for Frost and Sullivan last fall, and, and they asked me to present and research on this topic of, of how tools can either make or break the employee experience and the customer experience. And and I was fascinated at at what I found. I'm I'm going to present a couple stats if you don't mind. Yes. Um, please. I've got them up here. So I mean one of the one of the most interesting things came from the, the Cloud Security Alliance. And, the, and they talk about the fact that people are just drowning in tools right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an, an average of 464 custom applications inside of an enterprise company. It, it's so f- phenomenally overwhelming how many tools we have and they don't connect well (laughs) and and they're bought in a, in a mentality of, of silo in terms of, I I need this. My department needs this thing. My little team needs this thing. I'm going to go buy something when in fact, there are opportunities to bring tools together and take a more collaborative approach in the way that we, that we do this. And, and I, I love that, you know, Chattermill has this capacity of really, bringing effort out of the experience and bringing people together in terms of creating a a more streamlined frictionless approach to both your employee and your customer experience. And it's so critical to think about those type of applications that can bring people together Uh, because it's, it's wild to me that uh, 38% of those applications that are purchased in the cloud security Alliance report, only 38% of them are even known by it administrators so we're creating a huge security vulnerability as well as the impact that happens to our employees. And if you look at G2 crowds, so they G2 huge community reviewing software, uh, massive um, just online presence in terms of the, the community that's represented there. And uh, so they did a, a report in 2019, the state of software report. And there, they said more than half of their respondents are unhappy at work because of the software they're using. More than 50% of people are unhappy because of the tools. (laughs) A quarter of those employees said they're considering leaving their job because the tool set is so broken. And then my favorite stat, 95% of employees feel like if they had the right software, they'd be more productive in their role. (laughs) So... It's it's wild to think there's there's an eight by eight report that says that the average agent spends between 30 minutes and two hours a day looking for remedial information that should be available immediately. So if we had better tools that brought information together, mm-hmm. we, we would be able to do so much more as a customer service worker. We'd be able to serve our customers so much better. And that burnout factor that's there would come down dramatically. So I mean, there's a huge impact here when we get it right. And there's a huge negative impact when we get it wrong. <laughs> Definitely. So, so Definitely. going back to your question, of how do we get this right? How do we select the right tool set? I, I love using the Moscow approach. Uh, have you ever heard of that one by chance? I have not, no, I haven't. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not as well known as, as I would think it would be. I mean, it, it's, it's a very simplistic approach to bringing people together, all the different stakeholders that could benefit from a tool, Mm -hmm. And you go through all the feature sets that that would need to be in this tool. And you simply ask the question, what is a requirement? What is a show stopping thing that we have to have inside of this team? What would be wonderful if we had it? What would be kind of nice? And what do we not need? And you have all of your stakeholders go through that process of reviewing the different features that are there and selecting which one of those categories they fall into. And it will give you a great representation of what tool is going to meet the needs of the larger organization the very best (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is how we collaborate and tear down walls and and ruin those silos that have been erected that are preventing us from having knowledge flow through and enhancing the customer experience
0: amazing Well, this is tremendously eye-opening and very very comprehensive nate thank you so much for that completely agree with you like in terms of being able to integrate a solution to other solutions—that's imperative. Like the importance of that is very clear, right? Uh, you you have all these silos. All every team has their own KPIs and everything, yeah. and you need to make sure that everything is aligned. Uh, which, if I can, if I could, like just uh, stay in that little in that topic for a second. Uh, it's very interesting how you see some companies practicing CX as a single-player sport, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and other companies practicing as a team sport. Hmm. Uh, on that note, how do, how, how do you think about that? Do you, because I can see both sides, right? You need to, someone to dictate a strategy and then pass the strategy on, right? So there's clarity and, and you eliminate those silos. But I also see the value in having the whole team collaborating in CX and integrating the customer into every decision, which to be fair, you need the people that are in the front line to bring that bring that knowledge and practice to the decision maker. So how do you think about that? Do you think there's a right answer? Do you think there's a right balance that a company can achieve and how do they go about achieving it?
1: Hmm. Yeah, what what a great question. And I'm going to use another another John Coderism. So he talks about having a strong change coalition. Mm -hmm. I I full heartedly believe in the power of a strong CX change coalition. You have to have a group of stakeholders that represent the different key functions of the area in which CX needs to participate and be involved, those individuals need to be together creating the strategy and actively participating in the customer experience initiative. Hmm. Whenever I see a customer experience team that is set apart from the organization, it's almost impossible for them to influence the organization. (laughs) You have to make the work of CX the the work that everybody's trying to do together. They, ha- they have to own it for themselves and see the power of it for themselves, or they're they're not going to carry the torch for you. So to go back to your awesome sporting analogy, I mean it's it's less like a soccer team and more like if you look at American football, I mean, you have a quarterback who who is cre they're initiating the plays, yep. but everybody has the exact same common purpose in mind. We just got to get this ball over the goal line. <laughs> and everybody has a role to play, specific it was special teams, defense, offense. They know how together they can work towards that one objective, but they have different roles that they play in that. And, and you have somebody, you have a quarterback and you have a head coach that are forming that strategy and aligning people together and endowing them with the mission of we, we win by getting this ball over that goal line. I mean, that, that's a great sporting analogy to think about when you set up your CX team. You, you've got to have everybody coming together and helping to form that strategy, and they should have a voice in the strategy. But you've got to have one or two people that have the ability to really initiate the plays in real time. So you've got to have that CX leader who's, who's inspirational, who has the ability to cheer people on and motivate them, but also has the analytical capability to show the ROI of the work Mm -hmm. and keep that revenue machine going in terms of, yes, when we, when we help our customers to win our business wins, the CX leader has to be able to tell that story. (laughs) And then continuing to bring people onto the team, assigning them to the, the correct role where they can move the ball the farthest. That's how you win together.
0: Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, And I couldn't agree more. I think that's uh, a way that you organize uh, people towards their strength as well uh, and make sure that uh, everything, everything is aligned correctly. Right. Cause you can otherwise like w- disorganization and the lack of discipline has cost beyond uh, the lack of work. Right. Uh, it uh, detracts and slows down uh, processes. Very cool. Nate. Thank you so much. Uh, and I, I got an interesting point from your answer as well which is like uh, the IRY element that you talked about. Uh, Do you see CX uh, in a specific way? uh, uh, Like, is it offensive or is it a defensive practice? Is it something that should focus on top line growth or cost cutting and efficiency? Or again, is there a balance between both?
1: What a great question. So, so often people ask what is the difference between customer service and customer experience? And what you just outlined is that difference Your customer service team is the defensive team. You're trying to mitigate damage. When there's a problem in the experience, you come in and you mitigate damage, and you try to enhance that experience and bring it back up to where it could, should, would be as quickly and effectively as possible. So I mean, that's your defensive unit. The experience play, in, in terms of mapping out the larger customer journey. Thinking about how we can enhance that journey overall, this is the competitive differentiator. This is how we play offense. (laughs) This is how we gain market share. This is how we acquire new customers. This is how we open up share of wallet with our existing customers. There is no better offensive play than a very strong customer experience strategy. So I, mean, I feel like that's kind of where the line is drawn. Customer service has to be there. <laughs> they have to be there for, for that strong defensive team. Otherwise, things are going to fall apart. There, there's always going to be gaps. There's always going to be mistakes that are made. You've got to be able to prove we're going to be there for you to, to, catch, a, to catch when things fall <laughs> and, and to bring you back up into the experience that we designed. But that, that experience design has to be there, too to where we're constantly thinking through, how can we make the lives of our customers even better, better than our competitors are doing and better than ourselves are today? That, that's how we enhance the future for all of us.
0: Fantastic, Nate. Super clear, super clarifying. That's why I love these conversations as well. Because even me, I have like difficulty sometimes uh, comparing and differentiating from these two mm-hmm. elements and see like through this interaction, it just makes it so much clear how, how to separate them and use it to your advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so cool uh, thank you for that and just now uh, going back to the problems uh, question that we were talking about uh, with tools but now more specific to the practitioner uh, is there any like recurring type of problems and issues that you see CX professionals facing in their day to day that uh, results in them like going to G2 Crowd and Captera and like searching uh, through that sea of options that they have
1: yeah, so I, I'm the, the chief experience officer at Officium Labs. I, I work inside of many different organizations helping to enhance the customer experience strategy. And, and in doing that work, there's, there's several common themes that are identified there. Voice of customer is hard. When, when it comes to being able to centralize all of the insights that we're gaining from our customers in an effective and compelling way to where we can inspire change to happen from those customer insights, it's hard to get that level of clarity. And it requires a very good tool set, a customer experience management platform that brings those insights in together, tags them, organizes them, gives us that transparency in terms of if we do these things, our customers' lives will be better by this much. (laughs) Here's the ROI impact that can, should, would happen. And -hmm. then being able to prove that in the end uh, using a great customer experience dashboard. That work right there is not for the faint of heart. It requires time. It requires a great deal of of analytical capability as well as storytelling capability. I mean, there's so many hats that the CX professional has to wear. So the challenge becomes how can you supplement yourself with with people, with a team of people that are are great mm-hmm. <laughs> that have the ability to fill in those gaps so that you together, can, can make this critical work happen, that you can keep the ball moving forward and, and be continually breathing life into that CX change coalition so that you as a CX team is not carrying the full burden. You're just continually offering up these opportunities and this guidance to your CX allies represented in the different key leaders that lead the department functions inside of the organization. So the more that you can embed that work inside of those key functional leaders, The better off you're going to be, the more that you're going to have opportunities to grow the work, to have financial backing that you need, to be able to demonstrate the results uh, that are coming from the work of customer experience. Because the biggest problem that happens with with a lot of us is we just get burned out. We We feel like we're stuck all the time. We're hitting a brick wall where we can't influence the organization. And that's true. We can't. And that's why we need to tap into the existing momentum that the organization already has, (laughs) the compelling brand promise, the great leaders that already exist, the employees that really want to serve customers well. We just need to free that up and bring it together under the banner of the CX initiative. That's how we win.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Couldn't agree more. Super insightful. Thank you, thank you again for that. Uh, and now I'm sure not only me, but my audience, we just want to learn more about Nate personally uh, and just understand uh, what, what, how do you keep on top of your game and how do you stay ahead of the curve in the CX space and also to help the young, the young people like trying to break out, uh, break out as a CX professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, what type of learning resources do you consult regularly what type of books do you recommend people the most? Blogs as well, like podcasts as well. So just around like the type of content you consume that you think is of value for, for our audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, for those that are getting into customer experience and looking to accelerate your learning, look up the CX Primer. So this is something that I wrote last year and I did my very best to just consolidate the, the key elements of a customer experience initiative as clearly as possible and even started to collect a lot of the thought leaders that I feel like are especially good at helping people along in terms of growing in a CX career. So I would love for you to check out that resource. Uh, I've, I've been reading, let's see, what am I reading right now? I'm reading radical candor by Kim Scott. I'm reading tribal leadership by Dave Logan and John King and Haley Fisher. Uh, Crucial Conversations, uh, Winning Well by Karen Hurt. Um, So I I like to read a lot of different topics because I find that these things are very, very applicable to a customer experience initiative, Mm -hmm. especially in this area of building a customer centric culture. (laughs) It it just requires great leadership, great intentionality in terms of really creating a compelling place to work. When, When you've made a compelling place to work and your employees love being there, somehow the customer experience initiative just becomes a, a hyper speedway to space, <laughs> whereas before, uh, you're just mired in a, in a puddle.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, I feel like everyone in the CX space is tremendously well-read. Their avid reader is always like trying to find, uh, also multidisciplinary, try to find books and, and, uh, and content outside of the realm of CX, but everything mm-hmm. connected. A lot of marketing, a lot of psychology, a lot of empathy, reading, fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And in terms of like uh, both CX pros that that you admire and uh, people outside CX, like business people or uh, whoever they are, who who do you recommend our listeners to check out the most, like to enrich their lives and enrich both personally and professionally?
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Great question. There's there's so many people that I've been really inspired by. Uh, inside of the CX accelerator Slack community. I would mm-hmm. highly encourage folks to go and check that out in terms of being able to break out of a mental rut that you could be in and just get out of your own office, <laughs> even if that's like a mental fabrication uh, <laughs> representation of your own yeah. office. Cause I know most of us nowadays. Don't work.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but just just to break out of the bounds that you might be in right now and get some creative energy. It's it's great to learn from those that are serving in a CX capacity inside of other organizations. So, a community like CX Accelerator, support driven, is a great place to get that inspiration. And there's some folks in here right now in CX Accelerator that have been just so helpful for me uh, Andrew Gilliam, uh, the I See My Community Director, um, Andre, Murphy Frazier, uh, Jenny Dempsey, Jeremy Watkin, um, Keith Kimmett, um, some some great folks that are out there that just just have. Uh, a generosity. They have ideas. They're trying things out, and they're offering those things back out to the community, and really helping them to to continue to evolve and and just encouraging folks along the way. Uh, those are the individuals that I really like to look out for in terms of those that are are being very generous with their knowledge as they do this work together.
0: Hundred percent. No, no doubt Thank you for those recommendations. I'll check them out as well. It's amazing. And CX Accelerator, I can vouch like for that. Together with you, like. Uh, me like learning about the space there has been almost no other resource that you can consult any time of the day and you get a response almost instantly from people everyone replies like uh, with tremendous insight and like time they put time into every response it's really admirable Uh, I feel like other industries could really learn a lot from the CX space
1: 100% thank you for that Uh, that means more to me than you know I really
0: appreciate that thank you So true. it's so true though (laughs) Uh, and just like, uh, we want to talk to you about your career now, Nate, uh, uh for the, uh, for the young people that are trying to break, uh, into the sex space, uh, could you tell us about, uh, how you ended up in the industry and the major inflection points perhaps? That's, what's great about podcasts, right? We can talk about these topics and dive into the nuances that most of the time other pieces or other mediums of content can't. So it's great to just, uh, learn a bit from your career, uh,
1: yeah, definitely. So I, I began selling postage meters on the streets of Jacksonville, Florida, which uh, ended very poorly. But in in result of that, I did learn that I really like serving customers that already had a postage meter, which was just kind of a nuanced thing. It was like you know, I I really like going in there when I know that they're using this service and I want to make them really happy and expand this relationship. So when, when that did end uh, somewhat <laughs> traumatically, I, uh, I moved to, to Nashville, Tennessee with my very young family at that time and pursued a, a job in customer service and ended up just falling in love with customer service, was supporting people frontline on a learning management system for years, just helping to make sure that they were being safe on their jobs. It was adult learning that was safety focused And I just felt like it was purpose-driven work. I love serving these customers and getting to know them. And, And in being in a great organization called Peer Safety at that time that was later acquired by UL. And inside of that UL acquisition had all kinds of opportunities to grow as a professional. We acquired an occupational health tool, an employee health tool. Suddenly I'm managing a department of 25 customer service people with three different distinct software sets. It was very, very overwhelming and and exciting (laughs) all at the same time. Uh, But I mean, there's just, there was so much learning that took place in that period, but really uh, the thing that just hit me in the face in about, it was about 2014 is I'm I'm tired of things just rolling down to customer service Mm -hmm. and feeling like I have no control of what's happening upstream in this process. And so consume the effortless experience by Matt Dixon Consumed Chief Customer Officer 2.0 by Gene Bliss. Uh, Started working with Jeff Toyster and Annette Franz and some other mentors at that time and became alive on the topic of customer experience and the impact that it had in terms of let's become proactive (laughs) in the way that we think about customer service and start to influence the larger life cycle of the customer journey. And to even start thinking about and talking about the customer journey, which wasn't being done at that time inside of our area of the company. Mm -hmm. So started the first organic CX program inside of our division of UL. And it it was great. We had so much fun doing that together. We learned so much. We had some big wins that happened as part of that program. And that later became a true function inside of the business. So it was really fun to learn through that process and to grow as a CX professional, which became a catalyst for the opportunity to, to become the chief customer officer inside of Officium. And being in a startup and being in officium with so many brilliant folks inside of officium with Jerry Leisure, Sidney Nelson, uh, Keith Crowell, um, just learning from these folks, these industry veteran people that, that have just been so helpful for me as, as, a, as a young CX professional and, and put me in front of just so many opportunities to, to really accelerate my growth uh, has been absolutely awesome. This year has been incredible. And uh, just in terms of my growth and the opportunities that have happened through that. So, I mean, I would just challenge you that are out there. If you're looking to get into customer experience, challenge yourself to consume, to, to find a mentor. As, uh, as it says in the book, never eat alone. Create your own personal board of advisors that could help you to become what you want to be professionally and otherwise form those mentors around you that can encourage you and and open up opportunities for you. And then, and then just be a part of a community, be seeking, be hungry, and then start giving back. As you learn, as you grow, start giving back. And there's a compounding effect that happens in terms of the opportunities that you receive. And all of a sudden you'll look back and be like, I, I can't believe how cool this last couple of years have been all, all because I got to serve customers which is the best part of all.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What a refreshing answer, like full of empathy, as you can see, like you're tremendously empathetic, I think, uh, which, uh, yeah, I'd love to speak about the key skills in CX in a, in a little bit, yeah. but I love your comment about mentorship and and how to really prepare your careers. To, you can't go far alone, right? Uh, that key phrase, like if you want to go, if you want to go far, find people to come with you, uh, alongside you.
1: Right, so that,
0: I just wanted to like, yeah I'll ask you a bit how do you think about going about uh, creating these mentorships especially for young people that uh, in their minds they don't have much to add right it's like that chicken and egg problem like oh you need to find the experience first so i can add value after mm. uh, etc how do you think they can add value like straight
1: away Yeah i mean just being being open and and able to demonstrate that the things that you are learning you're going to be giving back and, and respecting those that are helping to educate you along the way, showing that humility and that ability. to That, that really inspires anybody who is excited to be a mentor when they have a protege that, that demonstrates that hunger and, and that ability to internalize new knowledge and to try it out and to make it their own. There's such an excitement that happens with that, and a refreshment that comes back to the mentor in that mm-hmm. scenario. That I mean, it becomes very worth the time invested just to see what can happen, <laughs> just to see what you can become uh, because of that great attitude that you have coming into the relationship. So if you're if you're able to demonstrate that that humility, that capability to really grow, uh, then you're gonna you're gonna really excite whatever mentor would be out there for you, in my opinion.
0: What a great lesson. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you again. Uh, I take these lessons as well. Like this is a masterclass for me as it is for the audience. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, So yeah, now just going back into the skills question, which I think uh, is fascinating. Uh, In the CX space, what do you see are the secrets to success, right? Like in terms of skills, both soft and hard skills uh, to master uh, CX as as a profession, as the tools in CX, like, what do you say are the three top soft skills and top, uh, three top hard skills that uh, people should focus on?
1: I, I am forbidden from using the term soft skills because I made a, <laughs> I made a covenant with Leslie O'Flanagan at the ICMI conference of 2018. Uh, so I'll have to instead use the term. I, I forget what term I was, I was engaged to use. Um, let, let's just say organic skills.
0: Oh, we'll sure. So that's, yeah. Absolutely. I feel like it's more—it's more, uh, it's more uh, descriptive of what it actually is. To
1: <laughs> so as far as as hard skill, like this is something that you can train up. You could go out on Lynda.com right now and and read up on it. That's going to be change management. Number one, you have to be a good change management for, professional with project management capabilities to guide an initiative through. Number two is going to be that strategic. Thinking capability. You have to be able to, to visualize something that does not today exist and be able to depict current state versus future state and what those milestones would look like to get there and be able to, I mean, I guess an associated organic skill. You have to be able to inspire people to want to change and to care enough to do so. <laughs> 100%. Inspiring that sense of urgency has to be there. And then you have your, your the, the third hard skill I'm going to use is that analytical capability. You've got to be able to measure the impact of the work you're doing. You have to be able to show the ROI. You've got to be able to create a good, compelling CX dashboard. And, and if you can't, you're not going to get credit for the great things you're doing. You're not going to have impact to make this work last. So it's critical both for the organization for the customers you're serving and for yourself as a CX professional to become very proficient in your ability to demonstrate results through the work with, with a great voice of customer engine and associated CX dashboard. So those would be the three hard skills that I would use as far as the, the more organic skills, as mentioned, number one, that ability to inspire change and, and to cause people to have a stirring inside of themselves (laughs) to where I'm going to change a behavior I'm going to change a mentality to serve my customer differently and better because of what's happening inside of this organization. Not because of you, Nate Brown, not because of you, Jean. but because I care enough about the customer and, and, and what we're doing together, the combined experience we're creating, that I'm, I'm going to make a change. And, and the, the individual that can inspire that type of atmosphere and that culture transformation is, is going to do very well in this work. Uh, Another softer skill that I would say, oh, I I broke my covenant. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Another organic skill that that I would definitely say needs to be there is that storytelling capability. A lot of times the customer's not there. You have to be able to, in in a dramatic, compelling way, be able to personify that voice of the customer to once again inspire change and represent the customer well in that meeting. In that decision that's being made in that report uh, that's that's being generated in that feature that's coming out uh i mean we have all different kinds of experience right you have digital transformation which is enhancing the employee and the customer experience on digital channels that's the work of cx you have user experience (laughs) making sure that the technologies that we interface with are are going to be pleasing and helpful and and frictionless as we navigate our experience through that technology so, I mean, there's, there's all these different facets of, of experience design and, and you have to be able to, to coordinate those, to bring them together. Uh, so, I mean, that, that requires somebody that can, can really think big <laughs> and, and also bring these pieces together and, and kind of enhance that, that atmosphere of collaboration. You're not going to have all the skills yourself. It's impossible. It's impossible. So, your ability to unite people together to create a strong CX Change Coalition that that's an organic skill that is required for this work.
0: A hundred percent. Tremendously insightful. This is literally a playbook for any (laughs) like sex professional out there. Like if you want to become a good sex professional, I think this is a great way to go about it. Try to develop these skills like through public speaking, through like your uh, Mm -hmm. self-study. Absolutely. I I, I couldn't agree more. I think it goes even beyond just CX. Uh, I think in technology in general, uh, if you're able to hone these uh, six different elements, let's say, and because they interact, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They all interact together, uh, and it's rare that you can find someone who can master them all, right? They, these mm-hmm. tend to be the people that actually make the big changes and grow internally. Well said. Thank you so much, Nate. Uh, that's this has all been fantastic. Now we'll just like finish with uh, with the question about uh, COVID and how it's impact, impacting. I feel it's a disservice to our audience if we don't talk about this uh, situation which we're all living through and having to equip ourselves with the right knowledge and the right expertise to, well, feel safer and more prepared to, to serve, serve our customers uh, the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to hear from you, like what do you think are the biggest challenges that companies are facing today in the face of this COVID-induced crisis? Uh, and uh, as well, how do you think companies should behave, right? So how do you think they should prepare nowadays and what type of practices do you think are essential for not only survival, but to thrive and to improve their customer-centric cultures internally and how they serve their customers and employees?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great wording of that question. And in my mind, there's two themes that have really risen this year to to grow even faster than they were already becoming a, a huge part of the the experience design cycle, which is trust and convenience. So I mean convenience has been just a, a very trending theme ever since the effortless experience and then compounded by the convenience revolution by ship Hyken, uh, other works that really make it clear that customer loyalty comes from our ability to create a frictionless experience and so now even more people value their time they value their limited resources more than ever we're juggling so many things i've got two kids over here that are at home trying to do school. <laughs> we, we've got just all kinds of variables that have entered our lives this year that are, are difficult to manage. I, I spent two hours yesterday screaming at an internet provider because I could not work today. As of last night, I had no ability to work today. Whereas before this year, I would just hop in the car and drive over to our beautiful office and, and have incredibly reliable resources all around me to help, uh, that, that doesn't exist anymore. I, I have to create my own workplace. I have to support my own tools <laughs> in, in which I work. You know, it, it's become harder for all of us to just navigate a day. So when we as brands have the ability to make that easier for people and get the things that they need and the services they need really easy, that is a major loyalty enhancer. I I was so stressed out last night because of the internet failure that I I was, I was literally mean to my family. Like I just, I was, I was so mad and the stress that I had, I I don't remember being that stressed out in in months. So, I mean, we, we as organizations do absolutely play a role in, in the stress and mood of people. (laughs) So it's like a calling, like let's, let's treat people well. Let's do a great job with our experience design so that people can live a, a, a lower stress, better life because we're enhancing the experience that they get to have with us and raising the bar for everyone <laughs> in terms of that's the expectation that's out there. So that convenience thing is huge. And then to your point, trust in that safety component. If, if I don't think that you have my safety at heart like if, if I think the package you're delivering is going to have an infection on it because you didn't follow your protocols, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to engage with you as an organization. You've lost my trust. If the food that's being delivered, if, if that somehow I think could be compromised, walked into a restaurant recently, um, there, was, there was not mask protocol being followed. There was a huge spill on the floor that nobody was cleaning up. It was very clear as I walked in that they did not have an environment where they valued their customer's safety and there's multiple safety hazards that were going on. I'm I'm not going to go back there again. And that same mentality can translate into a whole variety of different services and products. Are, Are we trying to respect our customer's safety as much as we possibly can? Are we earning that trust and are we doing it in a way that's going to be very convenient for them if, if we're considering those things as part of our experience design we're going to do well not only in pandemic era but well 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 beyond
0: thank you so much nate for that answer so super insightful and i can't uh, i can't stress enough like what a what a business lesson this is and uh us as employees we can learn that and try to apply it and scale it in our own teams so mm-hmm. then it can translate to the to the grander uh, grander vision that of our companies and companies need to start strategizing with that in mind uh, trust and convenience along the way can like I love your term loyalty enhancers uh, this is definitely something that I'll, I'll start thinking it's a, a mental model that I think is very useful for companies to start thinking through uh, and definitely I recommend even that like to be uh, a big part of the content going forward for for you and for everyone because it makes a lot of sense nowadays to to look through that prism Agreed. So, again, just thank you so much for your insights, for sharing your, uh, your experience. I know uh, how, like how hard earned all this knowledge and experience is. So, for you to pass it back with us and with our audience, we can't thank you enough. Uh, the gratitude is immense on
1: our side. Well, it's very much my pleasure. Thank you, Chattermill. Thank you, John. Uh, anytime. Uh, and, and everybody out there, be safe and design great experiences and, and use us as a resource.
0: Perfect. That is the perfect ending to to a great conversation. Thank you again, Nate. Thank you.